Well, good morning and welcome everybody again to Encounter Church. Just want to highlight, this is the last weekend of Doing Good Month at Encounter. We're providing a warm welcome to these Afghan refugees fleeing violence, fleeing oppression, settling and finding a home right here in West Michigan. It just, it makes my heart warm seeing all the coats and gloves and all that at the boxes at Kenwood and at Fulton Heights just filled and brimming over. Just so, so incredibly encouraging. Uh, remember, uh, for the low, low costs of $29.95, uh, YouTube can get in on this fun. That's uh, roughly the cost of a winter coat. Uh, if you need to move the decimal place, as God has blessed you, 295, uh, 299, 95, whatever the case may be. Uh, but it's just another way that we're, uh, that we're being the hands and feet of Jesus right here in this community. Uh, listen, we're in part three of this series uh, of people problems. Last week we talked about uh, how not just to live with but show love to controlling people and one of the takeaways was about uh, drawing that line when, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me Satan. And, and I said to you, when grandma this Thanksgiving steps over the line, you call her. No, we, we didn't want to call grandma Satan at all, but we did want to draw the line, those appropriate uh, boundaries. Uh, next week, we continue and finish the series by talking about how to love uh, critical people. Uh, however, today, I think, is really, really important because today, today we're highlighting probably the number one reason why more people don't uh, associate themselves with Jesus or with his bride, the local church. And today, uh, we recognize that the reason why people leave the faith more often than anything else is because of hypocritical people. It's because people who pretend to be something or someone that they're not. And none of it, we can't stand, we can't stand people or really anything pretending to be something that it isn't, right? Like when you order something online and you just kind of hope for the best when it shows up, like a deal that seems maybe too good to be true and then it shows up and you're like, no, this is absolutely too good to be true. You order the, the couch online and what shows up is like the picture of the couch that you saw online and you're like, not exactly what I was shooting for. You order some shoes and what shows up isn't like the Nikes, but they're Mikeys, right? With like a backward swoosh. And you're like going, I can't just, it bugs me when something is pretending to be something that it isn't. It was a story that was, uh, that was told a while back about a, a very well-known zoo that was known for this huge assortment of different animals at the zoo. And unfortunately, the prized possession in the zoo, it's this rare uh, gorilla. It, it unfortunately, it got sick and it, and it died. It didn't make it. And so the zoo, not wanting to lose face, paid one of the zookeepers to dress up in a gorilla suit and like jump around and, and try to like mimic the movements of a gorilla. And on the first day of the job, he got like too close to the edge of the enclosure and he, he actually he falls out and he falls into the next door lion's exhibit enclosure. Next, and as he's like looking at the lions start to approach him, he's like breaking character, panicking, get me out of here. He starts screaming for help in this lion enclosure and a lion like walks right up to him and says, quiet down or you'll get us both fired. <laughs> None of us, right? we, 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 we don't like it when things pretend to be something that they're not. We don't like it even more when someone pretends to be someone that they're not. And that's what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about is uh, what Brennan Manning wrote about, and he said that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out and deny him with their lifestyle. 
This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Right? That's, a, that's an eloquent quote that I love, I love so much. But, but you've, you've seen this. Like, you've lived this out. You know what it's like to have, like, the guy in group uh, sit around in your living room, eating your chips, drinking your LaCroix, talking up a, a big Jesus game, and then, and then you've watched him, like, like, go to work, and you hear the stories about how he's kind of, even though he's married, he's kind of flirty with his female coworkers, and he's, he's kind of touchy with the female coworkers as well, and you're like, come, come on, man. Right, and then Jesus' name gets associated with that by the fact that we're calling ourselves Christians. And you're like going, I get it, I get it. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I want like nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. If you're, if you're a student, uh, the person who's like talks a big game, yeah, I, I'm found in Christ. I'm a Christian. I go, to, I go to church. I do the whole thing. Except for when I'm not at church on the weekends, I'm out partying with my friends. When I'm in school, I can, I can cheat. I can get ahead. I'll do whatever I can just as long as I don't get caught like that. That's where the line is. It's unbelievable. Or it's a boss, you know, you get to, you get to the job site and, and he talks about how he went to church and how he heard this message and it was really impacting and, and, and very formative. But it's like the way that he treats the people that work for him, the, the level of integrity that he goes about his daily assignments with, well, it's what an unbelieving world simply finds Unbelievable. And so what we want to do this morning is, is recognize that hypocrisy from outside, hypocrisy from inside is even more of an, is, an issue. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we respond? How do we react? Should we react? Should we respond? Should we confront? What's, what's our role in some of this? And, and for that, we go to Jesus. Uh, for that, we go to the book of Luke, chapter 6. We are going to read uh, a lesser-known passage uh, of the Bible in Luke, chapter 6. Uh, you can follow along in the Bible uh, app, your favorite one, or a paper Bible uh, in just a moment. But let me, uh, while you find it, set it up for you. Matthew chapter 7 is part of the well-known, much better-known Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus kind of went up to a mountainside, he, and he preached to the crowds gathering around. A lot of people have heard about the Sermon on the Mount. This is a retelling of that. Another instance, uh, sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, where it was like a grassy knoll area where Jesus sits people down, and, and he starts instructing them in the book of Luke. It sounds very similar, and I'm going to kind of dance around between the two of them. Um, and, and the reason for that is because Jesus recycled his material. Jesus found that some things are worth saying, so they are worth saying, are worth saying more than once. And so he does it on multiple occasions. So we read this story from uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And uh, we do that for an important uh, kind of twist here at the ending to, to clarify some things. Uh, verse 46, where Jesus sits everybody down, he says to them, and he says to us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Right there, right out of the gate, we're like establishing that Jesus has a problem. If we think we have a problem with the hypocrites in the church, I mean, it, it just, it infuriates Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and, don't, and don't follow through on it? We're going to kind of spend a couple minutes here laying the groundwork of what Jesus is and what he is not talking about. What Jesus is not talking about in the passage is, is, is people who, who wish they were one way, but they're actually another way. That's not the, the flavor of hypocrisy that Jesus is addressing here. Like He's not talking to people who are sitting down going, man, I wish that I was the kind of person 
that woke up before anybody in the house is awake and I did my like Jesus devotional time. But I'm not that person. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about somebody who wishes uh, that they were less of a, a resentful person or wishes they were less of an angry person or, or wishes they were more uh, patient with their kids, but they're just not. He's not talking about that. That's something else entirely. Probably insecurity, probably good old-fashioned sin. That's not the hypocrisy that he's talking about. He's talking about a certain kind of hypocrisy where you present to the world that you are actually one way, but on the inside, your inward life doesn't, doesn't follow it. What Jesus is doing here, he's calling out the show that we're making of everything. And how do we deal with that? Well, listen, how we deal with that is probably based in like where that reaction, where that hypocrisy comes from. We respond differently based on, on why that is the case in the first place. Jesus, in Matthew 7, he calls it out directly, and he says, you, you hypocrite. This is the show, the pretending. A hypocrite, uh, for Jesus, when he used that word, it's a technical term. It's actually a reference to one of the, the Greek plays that would be going on in that era, in that time and day, uh, where, where somebody would, a hypocrite, where we get our word hypocrite, would go on stage and a stage actor would wear a mask and pretend to be. And Jesus is going, yeah, it's that. It's that the thing that I have like no patience for whatsoever. The hypocrite, the, the hypocrite pretending to be. And Jesus again and again is calling out the show. As you go into your week and as you call out the show that you see, I think that it's worth taking a moment to try to assess why somebody's walk doesn't follow their talk. And there's a few different reasons. The first one is maybe they don't know God. Like maybe point blank, they just, they just have never met Jesus, right? Like, like some of you have had the uh, experience, I know I have, I've got relatives who live overseas uh, in Europe, and, and actually there was a, a gentleman uh, who attended here for a long time, still maybe online, uh, from Germany, and he would talk about like, well, your faith association in Northern Europe, in a lot of places, is like what color eye you have. You know, like, yes, I have brown eyes and I identify as a Christian. Like, these things have no bearing on my life whatsoever. It's, it's simply saying I have brown eyes, so I don't have, like, blue or green eyes. I'm a Christian, which means I'm not, like, a Jewish person or a Muslim. Like, it, it's just kind of, it is what it is, but it, it doesn't mean anything in my life. And so my relatives are like, it's difficult to try to like actually have a meaningful conversation around faith with people who have just very clearly never met God before. They've never met Jesus. And so if you are in your week and you like start bumping into somebody and you're like going, man, like the words are not following the footsteps. Is it possible, first of all, that they just, they've never been made new. They've never experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus in their life. It like hasn't gotten a hold of them. It hasn't changed them from the inside out. If that's the case, like, listen, don't talk about behavior. Let's talk about beliefs. Like, let's not try to make them conform into a certain box. Let's tell them about Jesus. Show them grace and show them Jesus. Uh, maybe, number one, maybe as they're hypocritical because they just haven't actually met Jesus. Uh, they don't actually believe. The second one is, maybe they don't know better yet. <laughs> a great example of this, Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he's writing to a, 
very messed up church. In fact, uh, any time that any of us are frustrated with our churches, may we open up the book of Corinthians and read about what it could have been like. Paul is writing to these people, and they're suing each other. They've got all kinds of problems. They're actually, they've developed a ranking system for how where they get to sit at communion, at the Lord's Supper, based on their socioeconomic status. Like, it's, it's messed up. And Paul's going to address all this stuff, but before he does in his letter in 1 Corinthians 3, he goes, listen, on the outset, I'm writing to you not as spiritual grown-ups. I'm writing to you as infants. There is solid food that's coming. Right now, we're just talking about milk because that's all that you can spiritually digest. You just don't know any better yet. So what Paul does for somebody who just doesn't know better yet is he doesn't offer them uh, correction. He, uh, he doesn't offer them uh, correction. He offers them instruction, which I think is super important. Like, like to recognize, there's a, instead of like dropping the hammer on those in your life who say one thing and walk another, Maybe what they need isn't, isn't a correction. Maybe they just need some instruction. As followers of Jesus, as people of a family, this is how we act. These are the things that we believe. Maybe we just don't know that. Maybe we just didn't get there yet. I used to, uh, well, a long time ago, I, I hung out with somebody um, who was like, you know, God's really gotten my attention. He's grabbed a hold of me. Can we meet? Can we talk about it? Which I love to do. And, uh, and he said, God like literally spoke to me in a vision. God came to me in a vision and spoke to me and told me to take this big next step of faith. So I'm really taking this thing much, much more seriously. I'm like, wow. He goes, yeah, so like, that's what I'm here. I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to go, except for, except for, man, I was really, really high when that happened. So like, can we like, process that through? Like, how do you believe it? And I'm like, wait a minute here. Like, let's just not gloss over some of the recreational drug use that we're up to here. Like, can we unpack that a little bit? Right? And what we do in those situations, like as Christians, we're not offering like in that moment correction necessarily, but like, hey, listen, we're brand new at following Jesus. Can we just get a little bit of instruction along the way, help each other kind of navigate some of these things through a little bit? And, and so that's what we do. Um, looking at where people are coming from, number one, uh, maybe they haven't met God yet. Uh, maybe they don't know God. Maybe they don't know better yet. Or three, maybe, maybe, and this is where Jesus kind of hangs out, maybe they just don't care. And that's a whole new level. When you find somebody who's like, yeah, I know what's asked of me. I know that I'm supposed to live a generous life. I know that I'm blessed to be a blessing. I know that God wants me to have nice things. He just doesn't want the nice things to have me, so he gave us this tool of of generosity to pry open my closed fist. Like, I get all of that. I know that my life is supposed to be a river of God's blessing instead of a reservoir keeping everything for myself. I know. I just don't care. I just want to live for me, at least for a while. It's like, what what do you do what do you do with that? Kind of on this, on this note, uh, sometimes uh, integrity, authenticity shines through in some unexpected places. Uh, I remember uh, the moment where I, where I bumped into uh, integrity in generosity. When I was a kid, uh, like many of you were a kid, you were at a church with this ancient, uh, 
ancient spiritual practice where you'd actually like pass buckets like through the rows and people would like put things in them. It's wild. We call it an offering and like people just did this thing. I don't know, maybe it'll come back. I hope so, someday. But like the, the buckets would like snake their way through the row and people would like put money in. As a kid, uh, my parents would like give me a dollar to put in the bucket. And it was like looking back, I get it like it's a cool way to like start that like rhythm and habit of, of generosity. Um, and as a kid, I started to realize, like, a dollar isn't very much money, right? Like, every gift matters, okay? I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not going there. But, like, I'm recognizing, like, how do we fund the mission of God a dollar at a time? I met a kid. I'm looking at a vending machine and going, okay, a dollar is enough for the Doritos, but it's not enough for the double pack of Pop-Tarts. Got it. Like, it's just, it's not that much. So I'm, like, starting to grapple with this. And right around the same time, we've never had a conversation about this. But right around that same time that I was, like, reconciling that a dollar isn't very much, um, instead of a dollar one time, my parents trusted me a little more than a dollar's worth, and they gave me a check to put in. And the check was, like, folded over, right? And as a kid, I knew already, like, there's probably an expectation of privacy here. And so as a good uh, covenant youth, a good Christian kid in a Christian house, I, I politely waited until my dad looked away before definitely opening it up and, like, re- and, and reading it. And you guys, like what I recognized in that moment a very long time ago was that my parents, with relative moderate means, cared more about funding the work of Jesus in that week than they did with all of Christmas presents for me <laughs> entirely. Like the integrity of the moment just stood out and I, and I realized that there are some who pretend to be in and there are those who sacrificially give and fund the mission of God. And it just, it's so left an impression uh, that integrity matters so incredibly much. And it just, it reminds me that there's a temptation within this conversation that errs towards perfection. It errs towards legalism. Uh, It works righteousness, you could call it. There's a part of this conversation uh, that's so tempting and it's so easy to go into the direction of the way to root out hypocrisy is just to do better and to be better. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, knew this. And he knew that there would be those among us, even thousands of years later, that would be tempted to simply hear this as an encouragement to, to be better, is to actually be the person that's the mask that you're putting on to the world. And Jesus doesn't want that either. And because of that, he tells a story about what what the house of our lives is actually built on. He continues in verse 47, and he says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll, I'll show you what they're like. Verse 48, they're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Now for Jesus to say, like, you know, it's, it's a construction metaphor, and 
Well, not many of us are involved in construction, but we can kind of get the, get the concept of digging down deep into a foundation. For, for Jesus in his time, <laughs> this was critical. And it was also a little bit tricky. Even in this day and age, that, that geography, uh, that place in the world, has some tricky terrain on it. About 30 years ago now, just over August 1991, uh, in a western suburb of Jerusalem, not entirely far from where this took place, this story took place, uh, the terrain was the same. 1991, a, uh, a building, a, a part of a building in western suburb of Jerusalem collapses. Onlookers said that it looked like there was a, there was a targeted microscopic earthquake that took place that only sunk that part of the building. Upon further inspection, it turns out that there was a, a sewer line breakage uh, that was spewing water, and, uh, and they thought that they had dug down deep enough to that bedrock. They thought that they got to the foundation, but they actually got to the slightly harder, loose soil. And it, and it eroded the water, it eroded the clay, and it brought a fourth-story bathtub down through the third story and into the second. The book of Leviticus, the author cites this, and he refers to the ground as bronze because of its, uh, its a high clay nature. It works great, works great for building and construction in the summer. In the winter, in the rainy season, well, clay does what clay does when it gets wet. It gets slippery. It gets moldable. It's like building the apartment complex. It's like building our lives on jello, ready to come down. When you are thinking about your foundation, please don't mistake. Please don't mistake this time together in thinking that your foundation is doing better and being better. I don't think that that's what Jesus is getting at because he tells us that's not what I'm getting at. Jesus continues his story, and he goes, now when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but because it was dug down deep with that short foundation, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, the hupokrite, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. It was wrong foundation. I think Jesus uses that word specifically. Uh, because for Jesus in that time, it had a storied history. In fact, uh, 700 years before Jesus was born, 700 years BC, before Christ, nation of Israel, leaders of Israel, are, are sparring with an even greater nation of Assyria. They're to the northeast. Uh, Assyria is a superpower. They're gobbling up villages, towns, cities, territories, nations. Leaders of Israel are like, we're next. And so they, very unwisely, they go to the other superpower, to the southwest below them, to Egypt, and say, listen, here's the deal. We'll pay you every month, and you'll offer us protection from the Assyrians. So we'll pay you now, and then later, when the Assyrians attack, then you'll come to our rescue, right? And the Egyptians are like, 
Sure, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we'll totally, we'll totally sign up. We'll totally do that. Well, the prophet Isaiah gets a hold of this and he's going, what have you done? Like you, he goes, you have made a deal with death because of Egyptians, because of their, uh, because of their preoccupation with death and dying, like you've seen the pyramids. Uh, those are tombstones. Like imagine, you know, what else they did in their beliefs, right? They had this occupation. And so Isaiah's going, how could you have made, how could you hope in, in, in more chariots? How could you put your faith in, in more armies? How could you put your hope and faith in, in the things of this world? Don't, like Isaiah goes, don't you get it, Israel? Your hope isn't in those things. It's in another foundation. Isaiah, uh, writing in, in chapter 28, 15, he's talking to the leaders of Israel. He goes, you boast. You boast, hey, we've entered into a covenant with death. And we know who that is. Those are the Egyptians. We've entered the covenant with a realm of the dead, and we've made this agreement. So this is what the sovereign Lord said. See, I lay a stone in Zion. I lay a stone in, in Israel. A tested stone. A precious cornerstone for a sure, and there's our word again, foundation. What Isaiah is saying is like, you're putting your hope in Egypt to come to your rescue when Assyria attacks. They're not coming. History lesson, they didn't come when Israel was attacked. Assyria just mows right through them, gobbles them up, just like everybody else. But the hope that Isaiah predicts is that one day you'll have a good foundation. People read this passage and in Jesus' day took it literally. And they're looking for that literal, sure foundation. On the top of a hill, a holy hill, in Jerusalem, in Jesus' day, there was, uh, it was a special place, a slab of stone naturally kicked up, naturally raised, very rare, about three inches off the ground. Everybody looked at that spot and said, that, that's God's spot. Like, if he cares especially much about any particular patch of ground on this earth, it's got to be that foundation, that rock. In Hebrew, they called it, that's the Shetea. That's, and they put the Ark of the Covenant, they put this special God box on top of that rock as the sure foundation. You can visit it. Uh, Jewish people, Muslim people, and Christian people uh, got together, very rare, and built a uh, built the Dome of the Rock around that Shetea, around that spot. In Jesus' ministry here, and he's going, if you're looking for a foundation, your foundation isn't going to be in horses and chariots in Egypt. Your foundation isn't going to be. Your foundation isn't going to be in in perfection. Your foundation isn't going to be in, in actually being the mask that you're pretending you are to the world. Your foundation isn't going to be a special rock under a dome somewhere. Jesus is going, it's, it's me. I'm that foundation. If you want to build your house, if you want to build your life around something, don't build your life around perfection. Build it around me. Don't build your life around having a picture-perfect marriage and family. Don't build your life around having an Instagram-ready home at any moment, right? Don't build your life around anything else. Build your life around me. That's how we combat hypocrisy. Not by being better, not by being perfect, but pointing the way to Jesus. Our takeaways for this time. I think our only natural response to this is two prayers. 
the first prayer, number one, is God, help me to confront hypocrisy with an intention, with a heart to restore. You guys have been confronted. I've been confronted. We know what it's like when somebody has a heart to destroy and when somebody has a heart to restore. When we bump into people and the talk in the walks just isn't quite matching up, Galatians 5.1, restore that person gently. God actually gives us, Jesus gives us Matthew 18 as a principle. It works inside and outside the church. Listen, if somebody is, uh, is hurting you, if somebody is sinning against you, uh, go to them. Go directly to them. Just you two. If they still won't listen, take one or more. Take two along with you. Confront them that way. If they're still not there, then okay, go back. Escalate the situation. Talk to a manager, supervisor, ministry leader. Uh, then go up after that. Matthew, Matthew 18. We confront hypocrisy with, uh, with a heart to restore the person who's caught in the hypocrisy. You're not the judge, you're, not, you're the guide. Your goal is not to be right, but to help get them right with God. Your job, my job isn't to fix them, but it's to lead them to the one who can. I've, I've been on the receiving end of this. Like any, anybody who's in any kind of position of leadership for an amount of time, like you know, sometimes... We just step in it, right? I mean, there's, a, there's a wrong that happens. And I've been on the receiving end of people uh, with a goal was to destroy. How could you? And you get the sense they didn't actually want to know how. And I've been on the receiving end of that same scenario and somebody confronting me and saying, why? Like, walk, walk me through why. In the heart behind it is just so incredibly different, right? Because, because they weren't trying to move me closer to perfection. They were trying to move me closer to Jesus, to grace, to restoration. And I think that's the reason why failure isn't always fatal. It's because of the grace of Jesus. It's that foundation. Uh, number one, God, help me to confront with a heart to restore Number two, God, help me to see when I'm the hypocrite. Like, come on, <laughs> you've, seen, you've seen this one coming a little bit, right? Uh, part one in the series, uh, how to show love to needy people. We're all needy people. We're all in need of the grace that Jesus has to offer. How to love controlling people. We all want to maintain control all the time. Uh, part three, hypocritical people. We are all hypocritical people. Like, listen, listen, come on. Part of the Christian faith, a huge part of the Christian faith, step one, in fact, is admitting our need for a Savior, is admitting that, listen, we wear the name Christian, Christ is in our label. We are not going to live up to that all the time. We will never live up fully into that label of what it means to follow and to, and to walk after Christ. I would love nothing more than if we ended this time together by like exiting this place and, and asking one other person, I recognize that I'm the hypocrite. I recognize that I have issues, that I have problems. Help, help me to see them. 
If you drove here with somebody, I would just, as a God-honoring conversation on the way home, uh, I recognize that my walk and my talk don't always line up together. Where do you see that in me? Knowing that the goal isn't perfection, the goal is Christ. There is a gap, remember, of our walk and our talk. There's a gap of what we are presenting to the world and who we actually are. That gap is closed, not with perfection, but with Christ. He is our sure foundation. Today we're taking this an extra, extra step forward. Because today is a special day at Encounter where we say, listen, uh, how do we live out the, the faith that we have most fully? Right? Uh, we don't want to be hi- hypocrites. We, we don't want to do more damage on, into this world. Um, we want our faith to go forward on the back of Christ, not ourselves. But we also want to live into that as much as we possibly can. And so in planning our ministry year, every year, what we do is, uh, is a survey And I like to call it a mandatory survey, uh, knowing that things in church are never like super mandatory, like you could always not, but I I hope that you'll participate with me in this. Uh, What what we're going to do is we're all going to take a a survey together, and I encourage every single person to participate. In fact, please, please, like this is me begging to pull out your phones as I'm talking right now and to take this survey together, encounterchurch.org slash survey. So Kentwood, Fulton Heights, watching online. The link is up for 24 hours. Uh, We want everybody possible to take this survey. Some of you, it's your first weekend at Encounter. It's your first weekend at church. And so I'm sorry for making this so weird, but it's so helpful for every single one of us to take this survey. We do this with 100% participation uh, because any church you go to, and I hope you hear this from your church, um, you're you're being told that... um, uh, that you're, we're helping you as a church to follow more closely in the footsteps of Jesus. You could just kind of ask, what does that mean? Footsteps of Jesus according to whom? This is our response to that. This is what we're being led more closely into all the time. It's anonymous. Answer the questions honestly uh, as, best as, you, as best as you possibly can. It's going to take a few minutes. What we're simply doing is to try to figure out who belongs to this church so that we can best plan and then do. Who and do? What should we do together as a church to help us grow closer to Jesus in this year? So the band is going to play. I'm going to stop talking and we're going to take five minutes to take this survey. You can scan the QR code in front of you and the website is also on the link below, encounterchurch.org slash survey. Thank you, thank you, thank you for participating. I recognize that it's an unusual thing, especially if you're new to Encounter. But uh, God speaks not just through an individual, God speaks oftentimes through a community. And you are the community, you are the great cloud of witnesses that God has provided. And I appreciate your cloud of response in helping out, helping plan the whole next ministry year ahead. Uh, Church, in all of our locations, online, Fulton Heights, Kenwood, I want to invite you to stand up as we end our time together. Let's pray together. Gracious God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for moving. 
God, thank you for accepting us the way that we are, but loving us enough not to leave us here. God, we pray that as we leave this place, we think about what it means to to identify as a hypocrite, as a pretender, that you find ways to remind us that the goal is not perfection. The goal is Christ. May our imperfections drive us closer in our relationship with you, Jesus. We ask you to show us the way forward. As a church community, show us the way forward as individuals as well. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.